Hello, welcome to the Higher Ed Huddle Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Trano, and joining me today is Dave Poole. Dave has been working with higher education for over 20 years. As a leader in Barry Dunn's higher education consulting team, he has worked with universities and colleges to define strategies and help people implement sustainable change to processes and systems. Dave, thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm good, Joe. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Um, so our topic today is all about ERP systems, and I think it, it would be helpful maybe just to provide some context. You know, ERP systems is a more broadly used term to describe enter- enterprise resource planning software platforms, such as systems that support student HR and finance functions. And it's certainly one of the most important data systems and biggest investments an institution will make and have to support on an annual basis. Um, and there are many vendors in this space, as we know, and a few newcomers. So I think we wanted to maybe start with what we're seeing in the higher ed and ERP industry space. So what are you seeing as far as uh, existing vendors and new vendors? And um, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, well, thanks, Joe. Um, you know, when you think about the ERP space in higher ed, I, I, it was not stagnant, but it was definitely um, relatively stable for, for many years. Uh, if you look at around the Y2K period, there was significant change in how people were, you know, they took that as an opportunity to look at and, and implement change to their ERP environment. And when we say ERP, I think we're also broadly talking about student information systems, right? So those large, complex administrative systems that really oversee the administrative functions of the, of the university or the college. I think that's kind of, you know, that's what we're talking about today, broadly speaking. And you had your, um, you had Aleutian, of course, which wasn't even Aleutian back then. It was uh, SunGuard. SunGuard, and before that, WebCT. And mm-hmm. I mean, again, it's had many uh, iterations, but it, so that product's been, and that company has gone through many changes, but the, the product's been around with Banner and a colleague from the DataTel world, of course, is another one. Um, you also have uh, with Oracle, with the PeopleSoft, you know, Oracle was on the scene somewhat, but not really in the higher ed space. And then PeopleSoft really made significant inroads into the higher ed world in those, in the late nineties, you know, mostly in the early two thousands and looking at larger, more complex environments where they made their mark, I think. So you had that world for probably what, 10 or 15 years, at least one full life cycle of, of these systems of the, of the life cycle you would expect for these systems. And more recently, probably since roughly 2010 or so, you've had a, a, a new world that has started to form around SaaS. And SaaS is a, a term that stands for software as a service. And our friends at Salesforce, uh, if you're thinking about a SaaS example, Salesforce is the one I like to use because Salesforce was one of the first companies really to promote a native SaaS software as a service platform. And for those that aren't familiar with Salesforce, it's the largest, I believe it's the largest CRM or customer relationship management software in the world today. Um, it serves higher ed and it serves, you know, industries all over the, all over the globe and, and clients all over the globe. So um, 
When looking at ERP, though, uh, new entrants into the market, uh, newer entrants have been folks like Workday, of course. We hear about them frequently um, making inroads into higher education. Another um, uh, company that has gone through several, I guess, iterations of, of name and, and product is now called Anthology, most recently Campus Management. Uh, which is now um, being promoted and, 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 and is a product that is available uh, as a Microsoft Azure on the Microsoft platform, basically. So, so I think that's another software as a service um, option that exists out there for folks. So those are two that come to mind. And there are others, and there are, there's some new, even newer entrants that people aren't maybe as familiar with. One of the ones that we're watching closely and are interested in learning more about is UnifyEd which is focused specifically on uh, SIS and student administrative functions. The one last thing I'll say about that and, and looking at the, the world today is there's really one major player that wasn't referenced. And that's, I think that's of interest too, and that's SAP. So if you look at ERP globally, not just higher education, but ERP, the marketplace, you can't have that discussion without talking about SAP. SAP, German-based company, one of the largest, if not the largest ERP vendor in the, in the, on the globe, right? Um, and, and interestingly enough, in the, I guess, the early 2000s, SAP did have a intentional effort to get into the higher ed space and they were leveraging, you know, the foundation of their finance and HR um, systems, and they made significant inroads with some of the larger public universities. They probably had some private universities too, but I think about folks like Kentucky, um, Mississippi is an SAP client, um, Penn State was using SAP at one point. There's others out there that either are still using or were using, but what you what you see is SAP never did kind of come to market with a fully formed student product. So they were never able to, um, they were really never able to provide that holistic solution. And I think that's the difference between SAP and what they did or did not accomplish in their foray into the higher ed market space and what we see now with our friends at Workday and Oracle Cloud in what they're attempting to do and provide a holistic, if you will, uh, uh, solution across HR finance and student administrative systems. That is, um, that is helpful to, to hear you kind of give this historical um, look at the vendors and how they come to be, I think to this point. One, one vendor comes to mind is Unit 4, which we really haven't heard much about Although I believe a year ago, or maybe it's been a year and a half now, uh, they spun off a, a, a company called Thesis that I believe is the student component of Unit 4, and now that's really their primary focus. Um, I'm curious, have, they, have, they, have you seen them? Are they coming up on the radar of systems being considered in higher ed? I just don't hear much about Unit 4 or Thesis. Yeah, that's a... No, I that's a great point. Um, Unit 4 was, you know, a few years ago, we were evaluating vendors. Unit 4 would always be at the, at the table as a consideration. They were tended 
to be seen as a player in the in the smaller markets, right? Yeah. So either private institutions, maybe community colleges. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a lot of traction in faith-based institutions coming from their uh, uh, markets share with uh, a product called CAMS, which was a, uh, a, a really a legacy product uh, based on Microsoft's um, architecture. And they had come to be uh, purchased by a, a Unit 4, which was a Dutch company, and uh, a significant player in the ERP you know, market space globally who had uh, you know, an HR and finance system, and they were looking to make inroads into the, into the uh, U.S. market and with higher education. And so it looked like a great marriage of the higher ed um, you know, know-how of the CAMs Three River, Three Rivers is the company. Kansas is the product. Um, merging, you know, being uh, acquired by Unit Four. Uh, long story short, that marriage dissolved, and the thesis is the newer, I guess, iteration of what uh, what Unit Four student was supposed to become, and. That's a long way of saying, no, I'm not seeing thesis out there very frequently. I'm not, you know, I, I think they are probably focusing on a very niche space, um, whether that be faith-based, maybe they're going back to their roots or other uh, areas, but we're not seeing a lot of chatter or, or a lot of uh, action from thesis mm-hmm. yet. And, and, and it's still to be determined, I think, Joe. It'll be interesting to see. What happens over the next few years? I think there's still some um, some change that we'll see. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll we'll stay tuned. Certainly, from uh, from a higher education standpoint, we'll we'll keep an eye on this for sure. Um, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna switch to um, the topic of what we're seeing from an institutional perspective. So sure. I think you provided a, a, a good overview of uh, of the last 20 years of some of these uh, ERP vendors and kind of the direction that they're headed in. Obviously, SaaS is, is, is a, um, an area that we're seeing uh, a lot of growth in. Um, and, you know, in light of the pandemic, uh, these past two and a half years, institutions have had to pivot, looking at strategies to provide um, greater services to students uh, from a remote standpoint, um, and also supporting this in uh, these environments. Um, maybe you can talk a little bit about what you're seeing in the institutional space. Um, what, what are some thoughts around uh, clients that put projects on hold versus proceeding during the pandemic related to, to address some of the demand or need? Um, what have you seen there? And, and maybe talk a little bit about some of the collaborations uh, that you may have seen as well um, in, in the last few years. Sure. So I think what we saw, uh, despite you know, a, a world, a global pandemic and all of the implications that that brought forward, we didn't necessarily see a lot of pausing on projects that were already underway. So I think, you know, those folks that had committed to change were all, were, you know, they, 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 they continued forward with that change. They may have done it at a more deliberate pace. They may have had to slow down, but that, that, change did not stall for the most part. That's just our personal experience and our clients. Where there was still some 
contemplation, concern, hesitation, those folks went on pause um, many times, right? So if they hadn't gone down the path where they were committed to change, they were maybe contemplating change, but hadn't quite made it down to the commitment phase, they did pause in, in many instances, right? And they said, whoa, we got enough we got enough challenges. We cannot take this on too um, when you, you're saddling with us with a global pandemic. So from that you know, standpoint, the change in the landscape wasn't as dramatic as maybe I thought it would be. I don't know about you, Joe, but I didn't, it, it didn't appear to be as dramatic as I expected it to be as I sat there in the spring of 2020, you know, two, really two plus years ago, right? As we sit here today having this conversation. Now we're on the, you know, the backside of that. Um, I think demand is still high. Interest is very high. Demand is high and commitment is mediocre. And maybe I should break that down a little bit, right? So I think what we've seen is we've seen a lot of hype. Um, We've seen a lot of expectation set over the last five to 10 years that technology has changed expectations around technology have changed and therefore the vendors will have delivered on that, 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 that fundamental change, if you will, in how technology is delivered to the end user. And I always like to use, some people don't like this example, but it's to me the simplest and most uh, relatable example that we can use. And that's Amazon, right? Most people at this point, we're all, a customer of Amazon at some level. And if you're not a customer of Amazon, you can thank Amazon for revolutionizing e-commerce and providing a very relatively simple user experience for the end user, right? And I, and I, and I boil it down to three words, point, click, ship. I mean, that's as simple as that if you want it to be with the user interface that Amazon provides. And I think... When you think about that, that's what the end user of the you know, 2020s is expecting in the experience they have with uh, software. You know, they're expecting that type of user interface. They're expecting a, a high, high level of searchability on any word, um, any function, um, so they can quickly find what they're looking for. They want to have uh, a native um, mobility in the in the user experience as well so that this isn't a product that is built um, on a platform that wasn't designed to have to work off of a mobile phone platform but off of a desktop platform so those are all you know functions I think that are expected now as we sit here in 2022 talking about ERP And I say all that because I think, you know, kind of going pre-pandemic, we were, there was a, there was a strong push um, that, you know, we were moving in that direction and that the ERP systems were catching up to that, what that user experience was expecting from their products. And I think we're still playing catch up though, in, in some areas and some products on the user experience at the same time. 
the newer, some of the newer entrants still have immature product uh, functionality in many instances. And this, of course, is particularly true in the student side, right? Where you have your old line uh, of, of products around, you know, and I'll, without trying to offend anybody, I'll put illusion in that where you have a proven, um, you know, may not be perfect, but they had a prove, you know, too proven under the illusion banner, <laughs> banner, no pun intended. Under the illusion uh, company, you, have, you had colleague and banner. Uh-huh. And then, of course, Oracle had PeopleSoft, Campus Solutions. And then even Campus Management had their Campus Management student product, right? And those were all proven in the marketplace. They worked. People used them. They may not have been the prettiest. They may not have had point, click, and chip architecture, but they got the job done. They, they, could, they could support a student life cycle, right? And then you had your new entrants, uh, particularly Workday, coming to the table, uh, leveraging their presence in HR finance across multiple industries and saying, hey, we can, we can provide a student solution that's going to you know, improve upon what others have done and, and really fit into that new sleek point-click ship concept of simplified ease of access navigation mobile friendly architecture that everybody is desiring so institutions i think have come to the i think from from my you know this is my perspective this is not it's based on my experience and and based on that i i think most institutions probably thought that maybe they'd be a little bit further along um, in having a complete suite. Uh, the, the vendors would have a complete suite of functionality as we sit here in 2022. And the reality is different vendors have different strengths and weaknesses. And those are, all, it's always going to be the case, but I think those strengths and strengths and weaknesses are a little bit more um, obvious than, and maybe glaring still in some instances than, than we would have expected. So that's a long way of ask, of answering your question around, you know, what institutions I think, it, but around that expectation, I do think it, the reality has not necessarily caught up to the expectation or perception that was set maybe, you know, even five years ago, even pre pandemic of where the trend was headed. Yeah, I can see your point. I think that's a really good point. And, and certainly, um, I, I think, and I don't want to use the term customer or consumer, but that's, that's kind of the direction, if you think about um, the development of these tools, really to make that user experience really see, um, seem really easy to use, yeah. great intelligence, um, register quickly. I mean, the, the whole Amazon experience, right, that you, that you shared as an example is, is excellent. And I think, I think the, the students today is so, so much more savvy with technology than the student from 10, 15, 20, even 20 years ago. Where, oh, even 10 years ago, yeah, easily, right? Exactly. I mean, the so, apps, just yeah. everything is just accelerated so quickly. And I think the vendors have had right. a hard time keeping up. And that acceleration is something that isn't going away. I think that's part of the challenge is how do you keep up with that acceleration? And think about that. Um, 
I mean, we can have another discussion about Moore's law and <laughs> the escalation and, and, and the human ability to keep up with uh, technology, technological advancement, I think. But I think that's, you know, that was your kind of your question was like, well, you know, what uh, you know, did the pandemic accelerate? And it accelerated need. It didn't necessarily accelerate development. So that's why I, I made such a big deal about the user experience. And I know higher ed doesn't like to talk about customers and clients, but the reality is, is in this post-pandemic world, the technology was already there to do all of the things we're talking about. The willingness to change and accept the reality that technology provided was not there in many instances in higher ed campuses. So to have fully online registration, to have a fully online curriculum, none of those things for most institutions was on the plate, if you will, in March of 2020. But as we know now in May of 2022, if they didn't make that adjustment, boy, they were in a world of hurt. And that isn't for everybody, right? I mean, if you're going to a highly selective liberal arts college, you get your undergraduate degree and you're spending $75,000 a year, you know, taking an online course is probably not going to cut it for you, right? <laughs> I mean, that's just, that's not that's what you reality. signed up for. Yeah. But that's not the, that's not the student of the future as we know, right? I mean, the vast majority of students, what used to be called non-traditional students, as I gave my Dave Poole air quotes, is the student of the future. It's not the, um, you know, with all due respect, it's not the folks going to Colby or uh, Bryn Mawr or, or, or Davidson. And those are great schools. Um, but the majority of students in today's higher ed market are the folks that are maybe working on getting a degree, or maybe they're working on getting a certification um, to increase their skills or change their skills, or maybe they were part of the great resignation. Mm -hmm. So what's the key to all that? They need flexibility. They need flexibility to register and take a class when they want to take it. They need flexibility in um, figuring out how they're going to achieve the outcome that they seek in a, in a time period that works for them. All of these things need to be built into, and this is what makes the SIS, I think, such a, uh, I don't want to sound too dramatic, but I will, the holy grail of change is because unlike a finance system, which follows standard accounting rules, hopefully, doesn't matter which accounting system, the student systems of today need to be much more dynamic and flexible and how they meet the needs of a much more dynamic and flexible student body, right? Yeah, that's a good point. It kind of reminds me of the whole non-credit side of the house. That's always been a challenge for right. a lot of the um, uh, ERPs that have been around. And I, I know that some of the newer systems have, have addressed that in some way, or there's bolt-ons for that. But that's just an example. But yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah, and we're seeing that too, where the, the non-credit, you know, how that we're actually dealing with a client right now that is trying to manage its credit and non-credit worlds. And, and those worlds, although they have to be kept separate 
for reporting and tracking purposes, the student doesn't care about that. And the student is likely to have a foot in both worlds at many points in their life, right? Um, Just because, you know, Julie, a 28-year-old mom, you know, working on an associate's degree at her pace um, needs to get that associate's degree and, you know, uh, pick your, pick your uh, discipline doesn't mean that Julie doesn't also want to take a course in uh, wildlife photography, right? Um, that has nothing to do with her degree seeking uh, uh, goals, but it has to do with her personal goals of, you know, just learning about photography. And she wants to do that. She doesn't care. She wants to do that as simply and as effectively and as efficiently as possible because, you know, she's got to deal with picking up her kids from daycare and, and mm-hmm. whatever else. I mean, that's, you know, that's the challenge of, of the ever-increasing pace of technological change and I think the 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 stress it's put on vendors to meet that um, change where it exists in the minds of the end user. How do you think the vendors are doing, Dave? If you had to grade them and keeping up with you know the demand that you mentioned and the features and functionality that students uh, expect, um, are they behind? Yeah, catching I, up. Well, I, I guess based on what I said, if I didn't say they were behind, I'd be, I'd be contradicting myself. So I guess I'm going to say they're behind. <laughs> but it's I don't know if it's their fault. And there's a number of factors there. Some of the vendors are private equity. Mm-hmm. So what is their incentive to invest in R and D? Because what we're talking about is a pretty significant investment, right? In in product development um, with no guarantee of a return. And at the end of the day, these are private companies that need to uh, keep the lights on, right? They need to, they need to uh, pay for their pay for themselves. Um, I think that's one area of challenge. You know, there's some vendors in that space and I don't want to get into specific vendors necessarily. And, um, I think other vendors are publicly traded and they have that pressure, right, of trying to meet the quarterly performance of the uh, shareholders. And that has their its own uh, strengths and weaknesses. And then you have still other uh, challenges in the form of some vendors are serving higher ed as exclusively or almost exclusively while other vendors are serving multiple industries higher ed maybe is just one little piece of their overall strategy so how does higher ed get prioritized and higher ed you know needs for product development get prioritized over those other um, industry needs right uh, at the end of the day, I think money is going to talk. So unless higher ed is indicating, you know, it's going to make more money for company X than the automotive industry or the supply chain industry or the manufacturing industry, then I don't know how 
company that company can justify putting more R&D and product development into higher ed functionality than it can those other industries, right? Yep. It's a good point. Um, let's, sh- let's shift gears. Um, I think this, this would be a good segue into implications for higher ed institutions that are considering a move to a new ERP. What are, what are some of the considerations that higher ed leaders need to, um, need to consider? Yeah, this is, I mean, this is really where the rubber meets the road. Um, and there's several considerations uh, uh, to consider. One is, what is your pain? What is your level of pain in your current system? Uh, and, and, and that typically, you know, folks that are having this conversation have had years of being on the same system. Um, typically over time they have, you know, they, they probably most likely have started out with an on-premise system, right? Where they, they, um, purchase software, they implemented the software, um, they made customizations to the software as they implemented it, right, Joe? And as they went through that process, they struggled at times and the implementation wasn't easy. It never is. It's multi, you know, it tends to be more than one year. Maybe it can be multiple years, but they succeeded and they went live and they went into production and they had multiple years of using the software um, relatively successfully. And now they're maybe 10, 15, maybe 20 years removed from that initial implementation. And what has happened over that time is they've gone, you know, slowly over time, they've incrementally, incrementally continued to move away from baseline, right? So the product as it was released and upgraded over time does not reflect the product that the institution has at its campus today. And so that's left them a little bit on an island. So they're, you know, yeah, they do have some type of maintenance contract with the vendor, but the vendor's really not, you know, providing a much of a service anymore because over time the institution has customized and changed their product to an extent that has made it their own. And so they, you know, that's the worst case scenario. And and usually at 15 to 20 years, people are like, we got to get off of this now. And for several reasons, one is they may not have people in house um, that are, are, are willing to support that system anymore. So they don't necessarily have a sustainable pathway forward. Um, the company may not be willing to support, you know, provide maintenance support going forward over time if they've gone off baseline to the extent that they no longer have a viable um, support model, right, to, to provide any type of uh, support um, because they've, they've customized um, so those are two examples of, I think, um, where folks have, you know, they're, they're desperate, right? That's, that's, that's kind of where you don't want to be at when you're making a multi-year, multi-million dollar decision. Um, if you're there now and you're listening to this, then you need to think about how to, uh, change in a way that's let's, you know, let's maybe not solve everything in one fell swoop, but what, what can we do most quickly to alleviate our biggest pain points 
and then work our way back to a, a broader strategy. Um, most folks are not quite in that, in that bucket though, right? They're, they're one, one or two steps removed from that. And they know they're, they've got a legacy system that's really not working for them as well. It may not have the functionality on the things we've talked about already around user experience, navigation, mobile, you know, native mobility built into the system. And the other big thing we haven't talked about yet is reporting, right? So what is the reporting capabilities of the system? Um, and, and I think that's where we're seeing a lot of pain in today's mm-hmm. world is people just don't feel they have a good handle on their data. Mm-hmm. Um, data continues to proliferate. There are more demands for reports and reporting, but they can't, they don't have a good handle on where that data lives, who's ultimately owning and responsible for that data and how it is managed. I mean, they, they get through it, they survive, they, they muddle through and they get the reports they need, but everybody feels like, gosh, this seems like a heck of a lot of work and um, a, a lot of time and effort and blood, sweat and tears is put into this data uh, management issue and we just can't get our arms wrapped around it. And it's and a I lot would, of data. It's what? It's a lot of data. It's a lot of data and it's proliferating, right? Yes. It's proliferating. And I think that's part of the challenge is so people are looking at these systems and they go, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way. And, th- and that's partially true. I mean, it's partially true if you, if you commit to using a system the way it was intended to be used, which is why it's so important when evaluating your needs to, to, to think about, okay, if you're in that, you know, so those two examples are, are kind of moving towards the more extreme. But if you're in either one of those camps, then you need to be seriously considering doing evaluation, some type of assessment of, of where you're at and where you need to be, um, whether it's because of external threats, um, internal threats, meaning uh, or weakness or challenges based on, you know, your, your staffing and your, your support model. You really do need to be reevaluating where you are at and where um, you want to be in five years. Looking and, at gaps. Yeah, gaps in functionality, gaps in potential sustainability of resources, and also gaps in how you're meeting your strategic uh, mission and vision of the institution based on your, you know, mm-hmm. um, your plan. And we know 2020 was, you know, I always love to say 2020 is most probably the most ironic year in higher ed <laughs> history because everybody had a vision 2020, right? Going into 2020 and they were going to do all these wonderful things by, and then, 2020 was n- the, the vision. I, I can pretty much guarantee you very, very, very few people had envisioned 2020 the way 2020 turned out, right? So those, those strategic plans um, that have resulted since 2020 are quite fundamentally different in the way they've been influenced. Uh, and so how are your systems, your enterprise systems, which are intended to support achieving the outcomes of your strategic plan, how are they meeting those needs or maybe they're not? Mm-hmm. How important is uh, change management? I think it's probably, 
you know, not to overemphasize it, but it's probably the single most important thing. And I'll say that for a couple of reasons. As we continue to move, and we are moving to a SaaS model, right? Everybody's moving to a SaaS model, software as a service. So just in case we didn't make this clear before, in case people are still like, what's software as a service? Software as a service means that you don't, you don't own the software, you subscribe, you rent it. You rent software to, to meet your needs. You, you, you get on a subscription service. And the expectation or the, the give and take of that model is that you're providing financing to the software company to um, provide ongoing development and product development and support. That's really the value of software as a service. It's, it has to be, number one, it, it takes you out of the infrastructure and the software you know, development business, which is where most higher ed institutions don't want to be in the first place. But it also is supposed to give you some sense of comfort that you're not going to be 15 years from now out on an island somewhere in the same predicament that you are today with a system that no longer has any viability outside of your institution. Like it, yeah, it works great in some instances for you, but once, you know, three of your team members leave, you're up the creek without a paddle. So that's really what software as a service needs to, um, you know, provide. And so change management, if you're not on that model already, and you're not thinking in those terms of regular updates, vendor management, integrations, reporting, data management, change management has many flavors and, 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 and nuances. It's, it's about the people change and how you interact with your systems. It's about how you see the value and the outcome of, of the investment you're potentially making in a new ERP, right? And it is the fundamental desire to understand that you're going to need to look at all of your processes if you're going to fundamentally align with a software as a service product because another limitation, and some would say a benefit of software as a service, is you don't get the, you, you, if, if it's a true software as a service, you cannot customize it. That's not what software as a service means. Software as a service means you meet the vendor halfway and you're adopting the best practices and the best processes that are built into that system. I think those are really good, uh, really good considerations for institutions that are considering a move. And um, I can't believe we're out of time, Dave. Where's the know. time gone? That was. That <laughs> we, was could, we could go yeah. on and on, and I think it would I think be we're good have to, to have you have you back on and and talk a little bit more about uh, what we're seeing with um, you know, lessons learned with institutions that we that we are um, helping go through this process and, and others that we've, uh, that we've heard. Yep. And I think it would be good for our listeners to kind of hear, hear that firsthand um, experience. And so what we've learned from our clients. Um, but I, I wanted to thank you for coming on today. And uh, I think the topic is certainly a, a broad enough topic where we could, we could spend a lot more time, which we will. Um, but I uh, wanted to thank you for, uh, for joining me today. Yeah, thanks, Joe. I'll just add one last 
thought um, as we think about maybe another topic, and and that could center around benefits, uh, benefits realization. So, you know, there's all sorts of talk out there, and we've given a lot of chatter to it here today about what it takes going into and thinking about change. But I think it would be a great topic to talk about what does change look like, you know, coming out the other end. So what does change look like once you've, you know, committed to that, to that new model, that SaaS model, and, and how is that being realized uh, versus how it was perceived? So I think there's a whole nother discussion to be had there. I think that'd be great. And then, of course, there's always new changes, new, new challenges that are, and new opportunities that are presenting themselves. So you never know what the marketplace is going to look like in five years. Yeah, that's a good point. And I, I like the idea of maybe looking at um, the vendor landscape on a, on a regular basis, maybe a couple times a year. Yeah. Uh, as we know, there's, there's quite a bit of movement and change on uh, the ERP vendor space. So that would great. be great to have you come back and uh, talk a little bit about that as well. So great. thanks again, Dave. Yeah, really thanks appreciate for having it. me. I'm sure our listeners will gain some insight from this episode. Um, you can find our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google. Check back next month for another great topic and guest. Until then, stay well. Stay well.